Hey everybody, today we have a really special guest, Brad Greenquist, which everybody might know him from uh, the famous, iconic horror film, Pet Cemetery. Today, myself, Dave, and Josh, we're gonna talk to him about some upcoming events and some past events that took place in his career. So uh, stay tuned. Hey, what's going on? This is Brandon. Hey, this is Dave. This is Joshua. And this is Brad Greenquist. Hello, hello, hello. And you're now tuned in to PVD Horror. And you're now tuned in to PVD Horror. Hi, this is Steve Rosinski, creator of Care's Hell and the Meowie Chronicles, and you are listening to PVD Horror. So, Brad, uh, you are a really versatile actor, um, and I don't think a lot of people give you enough credit for your abilities. You've been in so much stuff. Um, what I what I was really interested, I used to love Star Trek back in the day, um, and you were on, what, Voyager, DS9, and Next Generation if I remember correctly, no, not, not next right. generation. I was on <clears throat> Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and um, twice I was on Enterprise. Enterprise, that's what it was. Because I, yeah. I, and all, I all remember of- seeing you on uh, a couple of them, and I really wanted to touch on that. Um, can you please tell me what it was like being on those sets? Well, um, uh, it was it was great, you know, because growing up, I was a big Star Trek fan of the original. You know, I've seen every one of those original episodes with with um, Shatner uh, like a gazillion times, you know. Uh, so it was like really great. And when I when I had moved from New York to Los Angeles, that was like what I really hoped for. I wanted to get on Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, but the first one, let's see, the first one I did was uh, Voyager. Yeah, Voyager. And, um, uh, you know, they, they I, I had this, I each, uh, well, every one of those appearances was a brand new alien that had never been introduced on the show before. So so on that one, I had this, this kind of, this headpiece, and then I had, uh, like two extra nostrils put onto my nose and one of them actually bled. They had, you know, a, a tube running up to behind me so that they could pump blood. When I got punched in the noses, <laughs> it would bleed. Oh, noses. <laughs> but I don't think that that shot even got in the, in the final edit. Um, but um, <clears throat> the first day on that, uh, you know, when you have these big makeups, you have to get there at an absurd hour. I had to be there at like three in the morning and um, to start the makeup. And there was a traffic jam on the freeway at three in the morning. Uh, and so I was like 10 minutes late and they were like, oh, hurry, 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 hurry. And they had measured me and all of that, done casts and things. But they had this this kind of helmet thing that had to go on and it wasn't quite going on. And um, so the makeup woman, she was this, like this, this robust Slavic woman. And she just like, got up and goes, how's that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that was fine. But then halfway through the shoot, I was like getting this splitting headache. And when we took the thing off, it, you know, as it turned out, it had dug into my skin and I had been bleeding all day underneath. <laughs> underneath. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> 
Damn, dude. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was an adventure. But I, you know, that was the first day. But then the other days, they made another one that didn't fit quite so tightly. <laughs> Not the first time in your career you'll be having a character bleeding from the head, whether it's in person or <laughs> right. in person, right? And then on uh, on on Deep Space Nine, I played this um, this kind of gangster, this this gangster from outer space, like a lizard <laughs> gangster guy. And uh, it was a full thing, you know, hands and, you know, the whole shebang. But my ears were covered, so I couldn't really hear. So when I was doing my, my scenes, I just had to really pay attention to the other actors' lips to see when they stopped moving. And I knew, oh, that's my line right there, yeah. right? Um, that one was really a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Um, because uh, the character was just, you know, kind of wild and out there, <laughs> you know. And, and the, the, right, the first day, you know, they had glued a piece down here. And as the glue dried, it kind of pulled my lip up like this a little bit, you know. And I was like, mm, what is that? Oh, oh, it kind of, kind of, yeah, it kind of like gives me this, uh, this Jack Nicholson kind of, sound in my voice so i started like oh okay so like kind of like right on the fly i was like well okay i'll do the i'll do the character like this so so what do you think you're doing man what do you (laughs) (laughs) and then i kept it but you know the next day i came in they glued this thing down and it did not pull my lip up and i was like "Uh uh-oh now i gotta like find that voice and that that enunciation that I had when my lip was pulling up, but without yeah. it, you know, um, <laughs> so I had to like, I, I think I managed to do that all right. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Just go in with the flow. That's the best part. Just yeah. go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of take inspiration as it comes, you know. That's, that's the best thing when you're working on camera, you know, because you can like, oh, okay, today I'm, I'm feeling a little this way and you can incorporate it. You, you know what I mean? Um, and, and it helps with the camera because the camera needs spontaneity. It needs, you know, if, if things look really rehearsed, the camera just will fall asleep, you know, um, you need things to be alive and, and feel spontaneous and trying to act spontaneity is very difficult. Yeah. Um, so, so often, you know, I would, with all of my projects, I would often, get to the set uh, not knowing my lines and I would just learn them uh, as, as the lights were being set up, you know, so that it's not, so I don't know it really well. You, you know what I mean? Unless of course it's a big scene or a scene with a lot of uh, language stuff that you really have to get down clearly. But otherwise I would always, and a lot of actors do this. A lot of, um, of camera actors We'll just wait until the last minute to learn those lines, blah, 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 Because most scenes in TV and films are not so long, you know? Sure. You learn them quickly, and then you just, you know, then they say action, and you have no idea what you're going to say. And you're like, uh, oh, right, I say this, yeah. So, where were you last night? <laughs> and it gives it a spontaneity that, um, that helps, you know? It really helps the, the, the final product, you know? Sure. Uh, that's uh, cool. Sounds- I always wondered. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I always wondered like how actors um going through that process, you know, like with filming. So it's kind of cool, like hearing that, like you guys kind of just went on the fly with most of it. So 
Pretty yeah, cool. not all actors do that. Some, yeah. some, you know, come in with everything cold, you know, knowing every line, and they need to rehearse again and again. So they use that time when the lights are being set up to go through all their moves. You know, that's that's <clears throat> a very valid way to do it as well. Uh, and for me, <clears throat> it depends on what the scene is. You, you know what I mean? Um, if there are a lot of complicated yeah. moves, I'll spend that time doing that. Uh, if it's difficult dialogue, I come in with it all learned um and these days these days now that i'm a little bit older uh, i do tend to learn all my lines really well beforehand because my memory isn't quite as sharp as it was 20 years ago you know um but you know back 20 years ago i could like there there was there was a, a movie i was doing and this is when my kids were born i have twins and with twins, yeah, cool. <laughs> my wife and I were up all the time, you know, we were just napping around the clock and I had this, yeah. I was doing this low budget movie. And one day I got to the set, I had seven pages of dialogue in the first scene and then another four pages in the second scene. It was just me and the leading lady that whole day. I didn't know a word, not a <laughs> word of that dialogue. And I was in the makeup trailer and I was so tired that looking at my the lines on the page, I couldn't, I couldn't get them into my head because I was just too fatigued, you know? And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I was shaking. I was so scared. I got to the set and it was taking them a while to set up and I, I learned them really, really, really fast. And, uh, and I also learned, oh, that, oh okay, if you, if you forget a line, just say something and make it sound really cool. Just make it sound really cool. Yeah. Everybody will think it's great. <laughs> that's what we try to do on this podcast. I was just going to say that that's how we do like we intro. Do like, yeah. Your coolest voice. Yeah. <laughs> that um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you because like that kind of um goes into uh, something I was going to ask you later, but I think just in, as far as like your method of acting, it sounds like for you. Um, doing some like trying to tap into who that character is and trying to really develop like an understanding of the character's motivation and who they are is way more important to you than the dialogue. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. like, you know, the, having the dialogue be exactly what it's, you know, in the script. Um, so that's, is, is that kind of how you view it? Well, it depends. It depends on what I'm doing. That's what I prefer to do, but you can't do that with most television because television is very television is very corporate, okay? Mm -hmm. And there's there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and mostly on television, most shows you have to be pretty perfect with what is written in the script, okay? Um, because there are too many layers of uh, of executives that have to approve of any change, right? It, it, it's not efficient. So, so with most television, you need to really stick to the dialogue. But then there's sometimes with television where you get a scene and you're like, hmm, yeah, this scene was probably rewritten at 2 a.m. this morning. <laughs> the poor writer was staying up all night trying to get something good on the page. And uh, the this plot twist is great, but, you know, the dialogue is, is, could be helped a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, you, you try to clarify it or make it sound a little bit better sometimes. Uh, 
sound and not not in that the writer wrote something bad, but sound more uh, something that suits your own personality or the character, you know, and just changing words, little words here and there. Uh, Like instead of saying, do not do that. Maybe that's written. You you say, hey, don't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, Yeah. Uh, but television is much more, you, you, you're under a lot more scrutiny with that. With films, um, it's a different deal because a film is generally the director's baby. And uh, if the director, sometimes in films, often in films, the director will just say, okay, we got all the coverage we need of that scene. Now you guys just improvise it. We'll get two cameras on you and just just play, just improvise, make, make a complete mess of it. And, you know, we can use pieces of it. And that's always great fun, you know? Yeah. Um, so it depends very much on the character, on the, on the, the script and on the, the, you know, whether it's a film or TV. Uh, Pet Cemetery, I stuck pretty close to the lines. Okay. There was no, there was no, I couldn't add anything that was going to help, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't need help in that way. Um, Stephen King, you know, he wrote the, the screenplay and uh he's not a bad writer you know he knows what he's doing (laughs) yeah i I guess he's got some experience with the whole thing yeah Yeah. there was was no you know if you start to fiddle with good writing you're just shooting yourself in the foot because good writing you know all you have to do is write it you know you just Mm -hmm. just recognize oh I don't have to do much work here because this is so well written. The dialogue, at least, is like great, and so just just ride it. Don't resist it. Just ride it. You know. Sure. Now, Brad, that oh. to your question, I, I, you oh, know, yeah. I kind of I kind of go off on these things and then I forget <laughs> the original. No, you actually that was actually one hundred percent the answer to the question. Um, it sounds like it's a balance, and it kind of depends what the project is as far as how you approach it. The reason why I asked, and we'll talk about this a little bit later was I know that you um, you did a lot of like uh, conceptualizing of the Pascal character in Pet Cemetery, So that's kind of what like made me think like, oh, this seems like a theme. So yeah, you definitely answered Yeah, yeah, with that, yeah, I did. You know, here's what I did. Uh, after I booked the role, but before, um, uh-huh. before I went to, uh, to Maine to shoot it, I, I read a few of his novels because I had never read a Stephen King novel. Uh, so first I read Pet Cemetery, and then I read some others. I read the the vampire one at the time, and it was a werewolf one. I don't remember the titles. Um, cycle of the was it Cycle of the Werewolf? Um, no, the one that ended up being Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet, yeah, I think yeah, that Silver one. Bullet, yeah, yeah. And there was a vampire one. Um, anyway. Uh, was it them? Uh, no, I don't remember. Anyway, read those, watched a bunch of uh, of the Stephen King films, all of them that I could find on uh, VHS <laughs> back then. Um, you know, Creep Show and and whatever else was preceding Pet Cemetery. Um, and then I read a lot of New England ghost stories. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just for some sort of um, you know inspiration. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's what I did, and but you know, so much of it was made by the the makeup. The makeup did most of the work for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only thing that was that was tricky with Pascal was the you know those horror movies like Creepshow and all of those prior to Pet Cemetery, they had this this real element of campiness in them. You you know what I mean? Campy mm-hmm. comedy. 
Yep. Um, very lowbrow, not raunchy comedy, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. The, that, mm-hmm. And it doesn't exist in horror movies now. The, the, but Stephen King always had that in his films, and they were like, you know, stuff that you would laugh at to release the tension, and then the tension would quickly build up again. They were like little things where you let off the steam a little bit, and then it continues to build, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, Victor Pascal was kind of, you know, in that generational line. You, you know what I mean? Although not so obviously so. And that's something that I tried to, to, to turn up the volume on a little bit on him, you know, that, yeah. that there's this kind of campy, goofy ghost that looks just dreadful, but is actually an angel, you know? And on my script, the script, the binder of my script, on the the cover, I had a, um, I found some little picture of an angel sitting on a bed next to a child. And and that was my constant inspiration. Because every time I would open my script, I would be reminded, you're an angel. You know, because you're on the set and you've got this makeup, you know, and everybody is going, oh, you're so scary. You're so scary. And <laughs> and if, you, if you're not careful, you can start to play scary guy. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, that would have, that was not the point. Everything else in the movie was scary. Okay. Victor Pascal was there to, to, to give hope, right? Yep. Hope that everything's going to be okay. Right. Whenever he came on, maybe things are going to be okay because he's going to try to help everybody, you know, in this kind of campy way, light and 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 kind of funny. Um, but he doesn't, you know, and that's part of the whole tragedy of the 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 film and the horror of the film is that even this this fellow from the other side couldn't stop these dark right. forces. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. it kept lighting. Hopefully, it keeps lighting a fire for the audience. Like, oh, maybe it's going to be okay. You know, because audiences want to feel that in a horror movie. You know, it's going to turn out badly. It's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. But, but you also want to go through the ritual of, oh, oh, I hope it's going to turn out okay. You know, and knowing that you're going to like you're going to crash and burn. at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, it's funny because uh, you talk about the makeup process becoming Victor. Uh, you know, this past Halloween, I had dressed up as uh, Victor Pascal for Halloween. And I, grown up with the, I had grown up with my kids and just the process of just having that fake blood. And then like I had like oatmeal with like fake blood like on my head just stuck and like walking around it. It was like really uncomfortable for the most part of the day. So I don't even understand how you could do that on a, on a daily basis for the set for that, to play that role. Well, you know, I only, I only worked like one or two days a week. The rest of the time yeah. I was, I had this, I had rented this cool octagonal cabin by the water in the woods. Uh, and there was no heat, man, it was October, and there was only a wood stove to heat the place. But, you know, I hung out there and spent a lot of time alone because everyone else was working. Uh, but on those days, the, the hardest part, actually, um, was there was two difficult parts. I mean, the makeup took generally about four hours, right? If, if they had to do the legs mm-hmm. as well, it could take up to five hours. If it was just the face, they could get that done in three hours if they really, you know, booked it. 
Um, okay. So, but that wasn't the hard part. The hard part, there were two hard parts. For the first one was, you know, being there at 4 a.m. And first thing was having glue put on your hair. Cold, stinky glue. That I just oh, didn't okay. like. Because <laughs> it stank and it was cold and everything was cold. It was 4 a.m. And, oh, oh, glue. Yuck. That was not <laughs> right. But, you know, then they put the, the headpiece on and everything was okay again. Um the other hard part was um, with all that makeup on, you can't, you know, if you have an, if your nose itches, you can't just do that because then boom. All right. Mm-hmm. 20 minute makeup job to fix that. Cause you just did that. Right. No, so right. I generally had like, you know, like something like this to, you know, you kind of do that if you have an itch, you know, um, like with a okay. pen or a chopstick or something like that. And I couldn't really touch anything because my hands had blood on them. You know, I couldn't like be touching my head because they, they were always refreshing the blood. It was all always new and glistening and sticky, you know. And if I touched it and got it on my yeah. fingers, then everything around me got blood on it, you know. And the other cast members couldn't get blood on them. That's what was hard because you're kind of living, you're living in this little bubble, you know, where you can't touch anything. <laughs> um, that that was hard. Um and then, you know, taking the whole shebang off was another two hours, you know, an, an hour in the makeup trailer and then yeah. going back to my little cabin and then scrubbing all the little pieces that they missed off, you know. Um, the other thing that was hard yeah. was when we were doing the scene where I'm walking down the path, bringing uh, Lewis into the woods to the pet cemetery. The, that, that night, um, there were mosquitoes out and I had this little... There was this little break in my skull cap in the back, and they would crawl up inside of there and go to the top of my head under the oh. skull cap and start biting me. Oh, oh man. That's awful. Nasty. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> All I could do, they, makeup gave me a, a you know, oh. a chopstick, and I could just, like, kind of press into my head like that but that's all i could do until the whole thing was taken off the other thing that was hard about that one was you know i had that that um clouded uh contact lens in one eye Mm -hmm. which meant you know it was kind of worse than not having any vision i kind of had vision but it would give me headaches after a while because one eye was working really hard and the other eye was well they were both working hard but on different frequencies and I couldn't see distance very well. And it was night, and that path, you know, that path was not a nice, smooth, sloping path. It was kind of like, oh, you know, like lots of pocks and, and holes and things like that, stones. And and I wanted to give this illusion of kind of floating. So I wanted it to be graceful. I didn't want to clomp and stumble and all of that. Uh, so I, I had to memorize the 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 terrain of the path in order to to go down at at night where i could not see vision or could not see distance you, you know what i mean yeah. so i had to yeah. memorize by just walking it over and over and over okay there's the little decline here then there's a slight incline there's a big rock watch that there's a big hole right there you know and i had to memorize it because i couldn't be looking down that wouldn't be scary you know the ghost looking watching his feet <laughs> 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 <That wouldn't work. laughs> 
so so that was that was a little tricky, but it was a good challenge, you know. And it worked. I thought uh, what what we got on film was what I was after, you know. That's good. I was, so that actually. I, oh, go ahead, Josh. Sorry. Oh, uh, I just had an off the cuff question because <laughs> you had said that that makeup uh, had given you headaches. What was worse, the Voyager makeup or the Pet Cemetery makeup? Oh, the uh, the Voyager one was worse actually because <clears throat> because I couldn't hear I could see but I couldn't hear <laughs> and uh on that one I was on it for a number of days and those days uh, end up on those star treks when you have that big makeup uh it's you're doing like 16 hour days generally um oh jeez and, and having 3 days in a row with all of that makeup on it's you start to get very claustrophobic. You just want to just tear it all off because your skin can't breathe, you know, and because yeah. uh, you've got a costume that's generally tight and things on your hands and face, everything is covered. All of your skin is covered and it can't breathe. And it does something physiological to you. There was one fellow who, um, who died. Uh, I think he was doing Harry and the Hendersons. And he died because his he, he his skin couldn't breathe. He was in that that suit for so long, oh, and wow. and it, uh, it it killed him. Um, That's terrible. That that was hard. That was probably the hardest makeup job because I had a series of days that I was in it day after day, and uh, I just you just get claustrophobic. Some of those series regulars, I don't know, they they would have you know pretty big makeups and. Yeah. I don't know how they did it, you know, week after week, month after month. Yeah. I guess you get used to it, but I wasn't. But with Pet Cemetery, you know, I only had that piece here on my head. Everything else was just paint, you know, uh, and that's different. That's okay. So, so yeah, that's that's what I would say. The Voy- Voyager was that was the toughest makeup job, I think. <laughs> Sounds like torture. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was hard. Bleeding head, you can't hear, and then you can't judge <laughs> distance. Like, never put makeup on me again. <laughs> so, uh, Brad, what was as after the filming of Pet Cemetery was done, and you know, you you go you go ahead, and I'm sure you watched the film somewhat after it was released, um, or maybe even before it was officially released. Um, what were your initial thoughts as opposed to how you see that film today? Is, is it the same? Do you view it the same? Do you think it no, captured no, what it was actually, looking for? Uh, but this happens with me with everything, and it's very common with actors. You know, you go to the, the like with, with Pet Cemetery, there was a, a cast and crew screening um, in New York. Uh, and so I went to that. And, um, uh, and generally, one just cringes. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, because either you know you're thinking oh yeah i thought i was better than that or i thought i like i was more subtle than that or i was you know blah 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 so you just kind of go oh no no um but also what happens is you remember the day so you don't really see the movie you're like okay oh yeah so and so was was off to camera left and so-and-so was camera right. And there was a problem with my sock and, <laughs> you know, all, all of those sorts of things. And you remember the day and you kind of don't see the movie. You, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. So <clears throat> when I first saw it, um, 
uh, I thought it was a really good movie, but I was, uh, I remember being disappointed in my own performance. Um, but that's, that's, I'm, I'm that way with everything I do. Sure. There's, there's very once in a while I'm like, Oh yeah, that was okay. That was okay. What I did, you know, the first time I see it, but mostly I'm like, mm, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed. Right. Uh, but it's not objective. That's, that's the thing. It's not at all objective. Um, and then I went to, uh, I went to on opening day, I went to see it. Um, and with a with an audience, with a regular audience, and uh, and it was a sold out uh, uh, showing in New York, and the people were just they were screaming, they were like you know they were so participatory in it, and I thought, oh, this works, this works really well. Okay, okay, great, great, it works. Um, but the reviews were not very good, you know. Yeah. Uh, the the New York Times was like, ah, this is such a disappointment. And, you know, um, uh, other reviews were kind of, there were a few good reviews, but mostly they were like, oh, it didn't live up to the promise of the book. But no movie yeah. lives up to the promise of the book. They're two different media. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. um, so then I didn't watch it again for uh, 25 years. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I just uh, moved man. on, you know, I moved on yeah. to whatever was next <clears throat> because, you know, you see it and it's so long afterwards, although that was fairly quick. Um, but uh, then I didn't watch it for 25 years. And then someone was for the 25th anniversary, there was a DVD release and um, Paramount was doing a little, you know, those extras on the DVD. <laughs> and so somebody wanted to interview me and I was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to do that. And then I thought, oh, I better watch the movie again. I haven't seen it in 25 years. <laughs> and and uh, I watched it again, and I was, like, really impressed. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this yeah. is what people are screaming about. Because I saw it for real then, you sure. know, mm -hmm. um, without my ego getting in the way, you know. And I was like, wow. And I, But what most impressed me watching it again was uh, Fred Wynn's performance. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. like, it knocked me out because he's so, you know, that when, when early in the film, when, uh, uh, when they first move into the house and, and Judd comes across the road and, and Ellie's mm -hmm. on the swing. And, uh, and I think Ellie says, uh, Mr. Judd, what's, where's that path go? And he looks over, he's got that one shot and the camera's kind of pushing in on him. He looks over, he goes, Oh, that, that's, <laughs> that's a story. Yeah. I'll tell you that another time. And yeah. just, just those two lines, mm -hmm. it just gives you such a shiver down your spine. You know things are not going to go well. And, and he does it so easily, so offhand. Yeah. It's just, it, it's like, it's perfect camera acting, you know? Absolutely. Because he wasn't, he wasn't hitting it too hard. He was, he was, but he was setting up the whole movie with that little line. It's just brilliant. And then throughout, I think he was the, the spine of the whole movie. He, he was just amazing, just amazing. And everyone else was great too. And I was actually very happy with my performance as well. You know, uh, upon yeah, watching it back. after twenty five years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> twenty five years later, that's awesome. Uh, that's the that's same thing to us. We kind of like. 
view your lines the same way. Like when you say like the ground is sour, you know, like how do how's that feeling when fans just recite your lines too? Oh, it's so sweet. It is so yeah. like I, I'm like I said, I'm just uh I'm bowled over that something that I did has has um has meant so much to so many people, you know, and on so many levels. Um, yeah. You know, I, go, I do these conventions um, with the rest of the cast. We go and sign autographs and things like that. And the fans are, are just lovely. They're absolutely lovely. Um, uh, and it's, it's just so, you know, most actors don't have this. Most actors, you know, you have your stars where everything you do is notable. But most actors get through their careers without having a, something like this that that has just lived and lived and lived you know mm-hmm. um so i i'm very very fortunate to have been cast in it and the fact that this movie out of everything i've done has such a following i so so when somebody when somebody you know speaks my lines to me i i just i'm i'm grateful i i just think it's it's an honor you know yeah. to mm-hmm. have regular old audience people uh, valuing something I took part in, you know, that's, that's, yeah. it means a lot. And it kind of, th- this career is very, very difficult and it makes it all worthwhile, you know, all yeah, of the difficulties. Well, and it's not the difficulties of wearing makeup. It's just the difficulties of booking the next job of, of, you know, living through a bad year where you're not working much, uh, um, living through a good year where you're working a lot and you're never around for your family, you know, all of those things. Um, it's a hard, it's a hard life um, for most actors. And I'm just very fortunate. I'm, I'm so grateful, you know? I hope that answered your question. I'm giving you guys <laughs> oh, a long yeah, yeah. Oh, you're doing <laughs> right. this scenic route through all these questions, uh, right? <laughs> I, so I want to throw out a weird question. You were talking about taking um, different jobs and stuff. Uh, and there was a show years ago. And I don't know if it did well. I'm the only guy that I know that remembers it. And it was VIP. Oh, I remember VIP. You were actually on one of the episodes. I loved that show. Um, and I was the only one that loved it, apparently. Uh, Pamela Anderson was doing really well at that time, so I was kind of surprised. Uh, but I loved that show. Uh, what What was it like working on that show, and how was Pamela Anderson being, especially back then when she was super popular? Yeah, yeah. The, well, the show, <laughs> the show was... Um, Right, I played this East German terrorist. Uh, and the, the show was a lot of fun because I realized when I got on the set, I, I realized, oh, oh, I'm the only actor here. Everyone else is a model or, 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 or bodybuilder or a stunt guy, you know, stunt. there were a lot of stunt guys that had regular roles, models, just gorgeous people. Um, uh, and then the star, Pamela Anderson, and I'm like the only, you know, kind of work-a-day actor here. Okay, great, great, great. So would you say the only one with talent? No, no. Because <laughs> um, there's a difference there. Yeah, but they all had their own talents. They yeah, acting-wise. Uh, yeah, you know, I was, I was a pretty good actor 
but they looked great on screen. They looked way better than I did. <laughs> they, knew, they knew how to play that up better than I did. You, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's just as much a part of being a screen actor as anything, you know? Um, uh, so that was, it was a lot of fun, but Pamela Anderson had just gotten in that morning from some junket she was on somewhere else. And she was constantly being pulled away for, she was, she'd been in Europe for something. And, and so she was constantly being pulled away for interviews and she was dead tired, jet lagged. And, you know, so she wasn't with all of my coverage, I was doing it to some, a stand in. Yeah, um, you know, there's some shots where you see Pamela Anderson and myself in the same shot, but she would leave as soon as she could and either run off to another interview or just lay down and sleep. So, so all of my coverage was, you know, with a stand-in and the so stand-in standing, you know, right behind the camera and the script supervisor over here somewhere saying, um, you know, saying the dialogue. Right. Um, and that's fine. That happens a lot uh, in films. So so I just dealt with it. It wasn't anything terribly serious. So it was, you know, I could have a lot of fun with it. And it was fun. It was, it was serious to Josh. Yeah, <laughs> very serious. <laughs> I, I, I love I could not wait. It came on at, uh, I think, midnight over here and I would get out of work and rush home. Uh, so I could catch it at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's a new episode tonight. Uh, <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, no one's I ever asked me about that show. This is a first. This is a first. <laughs> no one's ever asked me about it. It was fun, though. It was fun. And the director was, the director was uh, Scott Paulson. He was really great. He was because he's an actor. And he was directing, and he just kind of let me do what I wanted to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And he just adjusted here and there. But, you know, I, that's one where I really played with the dialogue, you know, because I was doing this mm-hmm. East German thing, and so I, like, really changed the wording because that's a lot of doing a, a, an accent is how do those people construct sentences in their native tongue, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and I spoke some German. Uh, my wife is German, so I learned a, a bunch of German uh, in order to speak with my relatives in Germany. So so you know I could figure all of that out. So I took a lot of liberties there, but it all helped helped the show. You know. Okay, that's awesome. So uh, Brad, I want to ask you um, about. You know, we like we like to ask this question to people that come on our guests. Um, so, what's what? What do you? What's your relationship with the horror genre? Like even prior to Pet Cemetery, um, I think we had heard that you might like older horror films. Um, <laughs> are there any that stand out to you? Uh, oh, do you yeah, have any favorites? Yeah. My first, my first. Uh, you know, I just got addicted when I was a kid to those those um, those Universal Gothic. Uh, horror films from the thirties. I just, I, every, every Saturday, every Friday night, there was one on TV and I would watch and I still really enjoy them. And they're, they have their own kind of campiness too. You know, I think that Bride of Frankenstein is one of the best movies ever. I just think it's great. It's so, it's got that real campiness, but it's really touching, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's like a, the the visuals in that film are so stunning 
you know? Yeah. I like, like, you know, when they have, when they have her Elsa Lancaster all taped up there and, and they make a toast the night before they're going to unwrap her or something like that. And they toast and say to gods and monsters, <laughs> what a great line. <laughs> yeah. What an amazing line, you know? And when they pull all of that off and she's doing that thing and there's this one shot in there that it flips by so quickly. Um, when she's like screaming, when, when the, the, the monster is trying to hold her hand and she screams just before he fall, goes into his tirade, there's a very quick shot and there's a tear rolling down his cheek. Uh, great. It's so brilliant. I, I just think that's one of the best movies of all time, not just of a horror movie, but just, you know, as a film, it's just great. I, I took my kids to see it when they were small. I took, they, they've got here in uh, Los Angeles, there's a, um, a cemetery <clears throat> where they, in the, in the uh, summers, um, they, they project movies on the back of Rudolph Valentino's uh, mausoleum. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they've got, you know, great sound system, and they're like, you know, playing all these tunes beforehand. So I took them to see Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> in a cemetery. What a great place to Yeah, That's uh, awesome. <laughs> That's so awesome. Do yeah, you, yeah. Do you so, have you know, any, I was um... a big fan of all of those movies when I was younger. Uh, uh, Lon Chaney's uh, silent film, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, and oh, Hunter, I love that film. Twenty-two, Great. Uh, Dracula, you know, Bela Lugosi. Mm-hmm. All those guys. All the, the Lon Chaney stuff, the werewolf and wolfman movies. Oh, I just I couldn't get enough of them, you know. And then that bled into you know the sci-fi stuff, like the the monster movies from the yeah. the sixties, yeah. Godzilla, and all of those things. That's awesome. <laughs> and then those fifties ones, you know, with all the flying saucers and Day the Earth Stood Still, all that stuff. I just gobbled that up. And then at one point, it like uh, I think it was uh, in seventy two. Charlie Chaplin came back to the United States to get an honorary Oscar because he had been living in Switzerland. And I saw the gold rush. And then suddenly my whole obsession moved from those horror movies to uh, silent comedies, Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. (laughs) That's kind of a wacky kid, you know? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) they're kind of weird obsessions, or maybe they're not, I don't know. So, um... Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I I still love those those universal horror films. Um, uh, I I don't watch a whole lot of horror movies today. Um, uh, the, you know, here's the problem: having done a few, they don't scare me. You know, they they because the there there are a lot of special effects, but I know the 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 gimmickry behind it and I'm you know what I appreciate is ah great makeup job oh good good jump scare there but I don't jump I don't you know because I'm yeah. I know the genre so well um so so I don't watch a whole lot of the contemporary ones um uh but I have a great appreciation for them you you know I think they're a, they're a um a great genre in themselves and it's it's I think it's terrific that um that it's all accepted now. You know, when Pet Cemetery came out, you know, the the it was kind of look, Stephen King at the time, the literary people grudgingly accepted him. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh they saw him, oh he's a horror writer. He's like this popular horror writer, but he's not a real writer. 
you know, but I think Pet Cemetery, like really that book really kind of flipped it because it was so the public gobbled it up, but the films were lagging behind. They were still like, Oh yeah. You know, everything is just a knockoff of creep show and yeah. we don't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. These are horror movies. Yeah. These are for like, this is a thing for a certain subset of people, but it's not cinema. You, you know what I mean? And I, I think this is yeah. the root of, of a lot of the, <clears throat> the reviews of uh, Pet Cemetery and its initial release. It was like, well, it's Stephen King, you know, it's kind of campy. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of scary, but doesn't really blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it was, it made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. made a lot of money which means a lot of people saw it but the press they, they had not um embraced horror movies the way they are embraced now they weren't respected yeah. you know, it was kind of a well it's a horror movie so you have to give it a so-so review right yeah you, so you to go off I mean? that yeah so to go off of that you know our buddy josh hey, he's not a big fan of remakes so uh-huh. um and I know you like what you were talking about. It took you 25 years to rewatch Pet Cemetery again. Um, what was the feeling like watching the remake? Well, um, I was really looking forward to it. I was really looking forward yeah. to it because I thought, well, great, great. I, you know, then I'll be in a movie that was actually remade. That's pretty cool. And sometimes remakes are really mm-hmm. good on their own, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, here's the story. Um, when it was released, uh, I called Denise, Denise Crosby, and I said, Denise, let's go see, let's go see the new Pet Cemetery. She was like, oh, okay, okay. And so we decided to go see it together, but in a, um, like on a Tuesday at, at one o'clock in the afternoon when nobody would be there, you know, or at least not a whole lot yeah. of people, you know, because um, uh, we didn't want to, you know, do the whole fan thing. We just wanted to see the movie together, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we did. We went to a movie theater near in her neighborhood and, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, we got there early so that we could get the seats we wanted and kind of up in the back and hide away, you know? So, uh, we get there and, you know, there's one of those little machines for the, the, um, tickets. And I'm like struggling with that. Cause I don't understand any of that. I'm so old fashioned. <laughs> I just want to pay a person money, but okay. So we've got the machine and the manager comes over and says, uh, can I help you? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to see pet cemetery. And so he's like, okay, press this button, press this button. Oh, okay. And Denise is standing next to me and she goes, you know, we were in the original Pet Cemetery. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. The manager just kind of looked at her and goes, uh-huh, and just kind of stone-faced, you know. And then she said, yeah, I was in it, and this is Brad. My name's Denise, and this is Brad. He was in it, too. We were in it together, like, so many years ago. And now we want to see the new one. And he just didn't react, you know. He's like, hmm. Well, that's great. Well, I hope you enjoy this. <laughs> going on, and he just well, can I show you to your seats? Sure, yeah. So we went in, and uh, he said, "Well, no one's here yet." So because we were really early, um, so we got these seats up in the back, and it's the kind of place where you know you can order wine and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we sat in the back, chatting, 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 chatting. Finally, the lights went down, and I was like, "Wow, there's nobody else in the theater." So. Well, okay, it's, this worked. It's Tuesday at, at 1 p.m. No one's here. Um, and we watched the movie, and, uh, and afterwards we sat there talking about it, you know, endlessly. 
Um, Denise is just such a fun person, such a fun person to be with. Um, uh, so then the manager finally came in and he said, uh, are you guys okay? <laughs> we said, oh, sorry, we're just sitting here talking. And we came down to him and we said, oh, look, nobody else showed up for the movie. And, and he said, I know, I blacked it out for you. Oh, awesome. He said, you guys, cool. you guys deserved your own screening of this That's movie. That's so cool. So yeah. I, didn't let any, I didn't sell any more tickets for it. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that he didn't like make it like tell you ahead of time. So you didn't feel, you know, no, like, he like, kind of experienced it. Faced, you know, yeah. we both mm-hmm. thought, Oh, he doesn't even know about the first one. <laughs> yeah. <You> know? <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, while he was like, just kind of stoic, we, we read it as he doesn't care, but what was really happening was on the inside, he was going, Holy shit. Holy yeah. 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 <laughs> That's so cool. But you got to yeah, play it cool. It's such a you sweet can't let them know, you know? What? Yeah. I said, you got to play it cool. You can't, I, like, yeah. if that was me, I wouldn't let you know that I was excited. <laughs> like, right, no, exactly. no, I'm a cool guy. I'm not like that. But yeah, inside, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, like for me, yeah, I know. You know I it was the same thing. I think it's part of the job. Like, you really can't respond that way because you can probably get in trouble. But I remember <laughs> when I worked in Arizona at uh, the Glendale Arena where the NHL, the uh, Coyotes played, uh, I worked overnight area and I'd seen Wayne Gretzky, you know? And so I couldn't react the way I wanted to because I was working, you know? But like inside, I'm like, oh man, this is fucking Wayne Gretzky. You know? <laughs> yeah, so excited. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, you know. So, so yeah, so that, that was the story about seeing it, you know? It was, that was so sweet of that guy. I mean, we were both so moved, so touched by the the kindness, you know, and the respect. Yeah. It's so great. See, this is, this is what I mean. It's only good things. You know, none of us, none of us in, in the original, none of us got a bump from the movie afterwards. I don't think any of us worked for a year after, after its release. Um, nobody got, you know, the next big thing for their career at all. We were just back to being unemployed actors. But now, you know, there's all these really great things that come from it. And, you know, this is, this is why I'm so grateful because this, like what this manager did, you know, things like that, they mean a lot. They mean a whole lot, you know? Um, so it's, it's really, really meaningful. But getting to the movie, to the remake, um, I thought it was a, it was a brave attempt. Uh, you know, I could see what they were doing. They were trying to take that story and uh, retell it in in a fashion in the genre as it is now. Mm-hmm. Lots of jump scares, um, uh, kind of you know, bit of a homage to Walking Dead, you know, um, and and so it's kind of it's got those influences. Um, uh, I it's hard for me to say because, like I said. Just, horror movies don't scare me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I was, I was dis. I, I loved what they did with a cat with church. Yeah. Always being yeah. around. Uh, yeah. That was great. That was great. Great. Um, Rest in peace. That, that cat did pass away. I think there was two of them, but one of them passed away shortly after the film, unfortunately. Oh, oh they're beautiful cats. Yeah. yeah. We had seven churches. We had seven. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. And a bunch of stuffed ones too. 
Um, <laughs> uh, but I was I was disappointed with uh, the kind of the you know what they didn't do with Pascal with Victor Pascal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, uh, after seeing it with Denise, I brought my kids to see it, my wife and kids. And um, but especially, you know, it, the, the remake was not made for my generation. Clearly not. No. It was made for my kids generation. Mm-hmm. There, there was mm-hmm. they were both 20 years old. And so, you know, I asked them, well, what did you guys think? And um, and, uh, you know, my one of my kids, he said, well, you know, in the original, Pascal was always this, there was hope. He represented hope. And, um, and this Pascal was just a messenger from the other side. And they, they just didn't, um, that's all he did was deliver messages. Yeah. Uh, and I was disappointed in that, you know, because I was hoping there'd be like, in, you know, that, that it would be, more and give the actor more stuff to do and uh and see what somebody else would do with that role you know mm-hmm. um and i was just disappointed that i couldn't see much because he was just just a messenger you know yeah. um the performances everyone's performances were great were really good um i just mm, i don't know that it it didn't take the time to set up the emotional uh, infrastructure yeah. in order to, to have a big bang, a big impact at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had a lot of jump scares and that's what horror movies are right now, you yeah, know, unfortunately, um, yeah. but it didn't, mm-hmm. it, it didn't, it, you spend your currency on those and you have nothing left for the end, you know, unless it's a yeah. totally different story. And I don't think the story um, that story that Stephen King wrote is amenable to the, the, uh, the genre of horror films right now. Mm-hmm. That's basically what I think, because yeah. it was a book from the 80s, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if you take one of Stephen King's novels now, it, it could very well work, you know? That that sort of filmmaking. Yeah. So that's that's what I think. Uh, still, it's an honor that they remade the film. That somebody remade it. That Paramount gave it the okay because people have been trying to remake it for years and years. But I think it was <clears throat> often, <clears throat> excuse me, from what I've heard, it was often stopped by Paramount. So you know, it was a it was a good attempt and some really good performances in it um, and some really good jump scares. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's, I, I would, I have a mixed, it's a mixed bag. I'm kind of giving it the same kind of review that the original Pet Cemetery got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder if in like 25 years, if it will get her like a, right, a resurgence, right. but I think, I think you kind of just like shared a lot of what our um, shared kind of um, feelings are about that film. I feel like Pascal was a miss, a missed opportunity. And I feel like, um zelda in the first one is like nightmare fuel um i just i remember being terrified of zelda when i was a child and they did not tap into the potential for that character in this one i feel like um right yeah, right it just like the camera angles they used in the original just being so unorthodox they're like yeah. very tight and um they just made you feel really uneasy that film just made the original just makes you feel uneasy um yeah you know mary lambert she she started out as an artist as a painter and and you can see exactly in those angles in the in the placement of the camera 
uh, the way she uses the camera and the shots, the way they're set up, she's very much a visual artist, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, you know, uh, like I said, it's pretty cool to have been in a film that has been remade and has been restored. <laughs> There's sure. a new yeah. restoration, a 4K restoration. There was a... a um, a screening of the new restoration at the Hammer Museum out here in uh, Los Angeles. And Dale and I went together and uh, we had a great time, drank too much. <laughs> <laughs> Dale and I get along so well. Oh That's my cool. God. Cool. Um, but uh, um, we went to that and it was like, it's great, man. Look at this, you know, the movie's yeah. been restored and there's, there's a mm -hmm. new version of it. So I can say I was in the original, uh, it's, it's it's great. It's great. So yeah. let me let me ask you, kind of along the same lines as a remake, but like there was a sequel made to Pet Cemetery, yes. which um, I I know Brandon and I at least Josh, I'm, I think you're a fan of that one as well. Um, but that came out like when I when I like Edward Furlong was really popular at the time mm -hmm. and had some really good um, performances in it from the friend's father, which I forget his name. Um, I know we're fans, but have you seen it? Yeah. And and what was it like knowing that there was a sequel being made that you weren't part of? Was there any like feelings about that? And kind of like, do you oh, remember what um, what you felt when, at the when time? When I first heard about it back in you know when it was being made, I was really disappointed. Oh, you mean Victor Pascal's not going to be in that? That's you know, I was really disappointed oh, because I was unemployed and I had no money and I wanted a job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's a little bit of honesty there. <laughs> um, uh, and I didn't see it for all these years until that uh, screening like two years ago at the Hammer Museum because <laughs> they restored it as well. And, and yeah. so we watched both oh, okay. of them. Um, you know, it's not a Stephen King uh, story. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really remember too much about it other than it was kind of a run-of-the-mill horror movie mm -hmm. from the time. You, mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Yeah. It it really quite punched up how good our you know original version was you know mm -hmm. um, how how tight that script was that that Stephen King had written you know yeah, uh, yeah. you know they had a hard time getting Pet Cemetery made because Stephen King uh, insisted on his screenplay he didn't want anyone else to write the screenplay and and a lot of studios were saying no 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 no. Finally, Paramount said, okay, we'll try this. But it had taken a number of years to, uh, to actually get somebody to make the Pet Cemetery from his script. I was, I was watching yeah. the um, Unearthed and Untold, I think it is, yeah. the um, documentary. Yeah. And in the very beginning, they talk about that a little bit of like, at that time, it was already considered like overkill of Stephen King, or it was past Stephen King time for movies. So they were like a lot of places were hesitant to, you know, get into that project, it sounded like. Yes, but I also think it's because of the story itself. It's okay. so brutal. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's what nobody would talk about is that, um, that it, the, you know, the death of a child, that's, and then the child coming back and murdering his parents. I mean, that's, that's some pretty nasty stuff that's pushing yeah. the envelope. And I think people were afraid of it. The studios were afraid of it. But what I, what the um, producer told me on the set, the first day on the set, he, he said, well, all the other studios wanted to rewrite the script. 
And Stephen King was tired of having his scripts rewritten to be something that they were not, you know? Um, I think the script was really good. Yeah. And, and I think Paramount did a great job at, like, taking it on and allowing, allowing Mary Lambert to direct it, a woman director. Um, I mean, it was a big risk because the, mo- the book was so popular. A, 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 a female director... Um, who was who made a number of films, but wasn't you know a big big name? Um, uh, and using Stephen King's script, I mean, they took a lot of risks, and um, and uh, it's to their credit that they did. You know, I, I want to share my um, a personal experience I have with that film. Uh, so you were talking about how dark it is, and you know the the death of a child, and I started to smirk. So I don't want you to think I'm creepy, but um, it reminded me of the very first time I, I saw it was um, it was with my family. So I was I was young, and um, my my dad had rented it, and I was there with my siblings and my and my parents, and um, my mom left the room and did not return after the, the truck scene. Mm-hmm. So she she refused to watch the rest of it, and then um, uh, like a few years later, I had watch I was watching it again in our living room area, and she as she left the room again as soon as that scene was about to come on because she knew like as soon as the kite's out, you know what's coming next. Um, yeah. And I don't think she's ever seen the rest of the film to this day, and I don't think she ever will. And I think that made me like it even more at the time when I was little. I was like, this is a, like you know I really wanted horror films at that time. I was like, oh, this is dark. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you're right, it is. That is like, I, I remember being actually like sad when I saw that and that it brings out emotion. Like they did that scene so effectively, you felt sadness for, you know, the death of this child. And yeah. um, I felt that numerous times watching it. And so probably yeah. even now when I see it, it's like you actually, it does get like, there's other movies I watch and I don't feel the same emotions, but that one really. Yeah. Into that. You know, <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's what I mean. But with the, what the, what the remake missed, uh, you know, the, until that point where where Gage is hit by the truck, there's just a lot of groundwork laid, emotional groundwork, with the the family constellation, the relationships. The audience falls in love with Gage because he's so adorable, um, and and it just takes it does not rush through that time that an audience needs to attach themselves emotionally to this family. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. takes its time and lets the audience join in. You know, it's a horror movie, so everybody comes in going, oh, but, you know, it kind of opens like a drama, you know, um, sure. except for, you know, Victor Pascal. Everything else is kind of like, you know, yeah. just a, a domestic drama, and you're getting to know these people and care about their their problems and their their discontents and all of that. And then... And it's just like everybody else's family. And then suddenly, boom, out of the blue, boom, that little child is killed. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. And that's, you know, then you're, you're, if you stay in the room. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. um, (laughs) You're kind of hooked and you're on the edge of your seat because it went that far, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I also I remember the 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 maid scene was also another one that they didn't even yes. use in the um, remake I don't believe and that scene I remember also like just shocking me but also just feeling another like a sense of sadness like this this poor woman is in chronic pain like she's describing and then you know they you, they saw the hanging and it's like oh my god um, yeah they didn't shy away that was that's 
No, and you get this sense, this sense that that nobody states outright, but that that you know the guys went out to that that to the pet cemetery, but then to the Micmac cemetery, and once they did that, death was stalking. Yeah, yeah. death was like this this it was swirling around, you know, cause she, Missy didn't have to hang herself, but she hung herself, you know, this mm-hmm. kid, Victor Pascal gets hit by a truck. Then the little kid gets hit by a truck. Death is just swirling all around them. It's never stated outright. Oh, you went to that cemetery and looked at it and now look what's happening. Yeah. It's never said, but you feel it, you get it, whether you get it consciously or subconsciously, you get it that death is another character that has come in and is walking through the lives of all of those people. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, well said. So, uh, Dave, I just wanted to tell you, uh, when I watched this when I was younger, it was the same thing, like, oh, the kid died. But then watching it, I watched this, like, I don't know, a couple of years ago, uh, that kid reminded me of my son, like, uh, Brad, my, my son, Max looks exactly like him at the time and acted like him. So I too turned it off just like your mother <laughs> when he, I was like, Oh, <laughs> like, uh, so yeah. Yeah. The, uh, Oh, I know it, it hits hard. I mean, you know, I, I know the movie through and through. And when I watched it again after 25 years, you know, at that point I had small kids as well. And, and, knowing exactly the construction of that scene, the editing and the still, it was just like, Oh my God, I don't know if I even want to go through with the rest of the movie. And I know the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It just hits you on a different level when you're a parent, you know, and, and you have a child. Uh, It's so big time. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to throw out there because we're big fans of Tubi. I had gotten a notification on my phone Friday that pet cemetery and Pet Cemetery 2 were added to Tubi. So for all our followers and listeners, if you did not finish this film, you have a chance to watch it for free. So take that chance to go watch it. Use that little 30-second button to skip ahead if you can't watch the uh, the truck scene. Don't walk out of the room, though. Brad, I don't know if you're aware we're trying to get a sponsor with Tubi, so... <laughs> we, have to, we have to make a daily mention of them, so... <laughs> Well, that's a pretty good way to mention them. I got to say. <laughs> so, um, Brad, I, you know, I know that we're probably going to have to wrap up soon, but I want to ask you um, a question about the filming. Um, being, you know, Stephen King, famously from Maine, um, the the film was actually filmed in Maine in um, two locations, I believe. I know that the cemetery, the the Indian in the burial ground is on an island. I can't remember the name of the island, but then the house and everything was on, you know, mainland. And it's, it's pretty far up there. I think it's like six hours from us. Um, is it Bangor that was filmed in? Yeah. Yeah. Bangor and, and all around there, we were staying in Elliston, Elliston, some, and Bar Harbor. Yeah. Um, I don't really, I wouldn't be able to find my way around there. I I had a car up there, but uh, mostly, you know, I was driven to the sets and I had no clue where they were, you know. Okay. I was, I and now you have people that are like, you know, going to there. These, this filming, the filming sets have actually become attractions that people go to visit. And you know, some of uh, the people that follow us recently, I saw um, somebody had posted shots from, you know, 
uh, where they, they want to go to the uh, burial ground. But I think one of the more famous locations people go to is that cemetery yeah. uh, where Dale's like, you know, digging up uh, Gage and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But what was it, you know, what was it like for you filming up there? Um, you know, was there, you know, how was the weather when you were there? It looks like you guys were filming sort of like nicer um, weather. Um, it gets pretty it was, cold. It was great. You know, that that's right. Th- this is another reason why it took so long for a studio to agree to make this, because Stephen King had been getting a lot of flack that all of his movies were being made in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the locals were saying, why don't you get your movies made here? Bring all that money to Maine. And he, he listened to them. And so he was very insistent that it be made in Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think only for that reason. I think the atmosphere... You just can't replicate it. You you know the the place where where the whole story germinated for him. Uh, you can't replicate it in a studio. Uh, I think this was one of the smartest decisions to shoot it there. You know, um, uh, the weather. Well, I got there in August and I left in October, so. Autumn in Maine, just, you know, well, you yeah. guys know, you're yeah. near there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What can you say? It's gorgeous. It's yeah. so gorgeous. Um, it was pretty chilly in October, though, especially in my little <laughs> yeah. cabin that only had a little wood stove. Oh, uh. man, it was cold. <laughs> um, uh, but it was it was beautiful. And the the, you know, you can... Making a horror movie, a Stephen King horror movie there, you just feel that atmosphere. You can feel or you can imagine this foreboding in, in that atmosphere, you know? It's very easy to imagine that, much easier than driving through Los Angeles traffic to get to a sound stage uh, where it's all been kind of built. And then you have to, like, really put your imagination into high gear in order to imagine that foreboding feeling that you get naturally in Maine, if you're looking for it. You you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And the townspeople were uh, really sweet. They're really friendly. I would go to this local diner every day for breakfast, and um, most of them were very curious, you know. But they were also, there were also a number of people that were just, you know, oh, they're always stopping the traffic, blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they don't realize that... Because they didn't know, you know, a movie comes to town and yeah, it's very, very disruptive, you know. And I remember one time in the diner, I just, uh, you know, a woman was complaining about it. And I said, yes, but just think about all the jobs that are being had here. How much money is pouring into the state? You guys are getting a huge benefit here because there's, you know, there's millions of dollars coming right here to your community. And it's just some temporary um, uh, inconveniences you have here. But otherwise, you guys are going to, things are going to look better here because you're sure. getting all this money. Yeah. And that kind of made her go, oh, oh, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you right, you right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know that, that that's been a big, um, well, before the pandemic, the Rhode Island, you know, where we are is that was like a big driving force for our state as well, trying to get um, productions done here. We've had a, a few big name films in some of our cities over here. But um, yeah, it can be kind of disruptive. But it, I, th- I always find it exciting um, yeah. as someone who likes to go check out filming locations of movies yeah. that I, I loved. Um, I, you know, I, I do appreciate that. So and I do think that the, you know, the setting 
where the where Pet Cemetery is filmed is such it's a whole nother character to this film. So it's, absolutely, it's so absolutely. important. Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of very smart decisions in the making of uh, of our version of the film, made by Paramount, by the producers, and and by uh, Mary Lambert. Very very smart decisions that all add up to a really powerful film. And with you take any of those decisions and go another way with them, you know, a different screenplay, uh, a different location, um, uh, a different a different guy playing Pascal. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, any of those decisions, yeah. and it's a different film, and it may not have had the impact that it does. You know, yeah. agreed. Yeah, agreed. And so, like you you talked about film and locations, Dave. Uh, Stephen King's son, Joe um, Joe Hill. He actually had filmed his TV show. They had filmed his TV show from his uh, book, Nosferatu, here in Rhode Island. So it was kind of cool for us to go and see some of the filming locations that they use in Rhode Island. You know, so it also caused like traffic and everything, too, and people complaining. Yeah. So it was kind of like the same thing going on. Yeah, yeah. And you can't blame people for being annoyed because, you know, especially with road closings and things like that, that, you know, people nobody if you haven't experienced a film working in your neighborhood you don't know what yeah. it entails but it does entail a lot of disruptions to everybody can't blame them for getting annoyed about that um yeah. but it brings yeah. in a lot of money that hopefully goes yeah. to their community you know right. to their schools and roads and all of those things yeah. you know and you just have then you have this little time capsule of this thing that was filmed in your in your hometown. Like I know we watch uh, Dumb and Dumber, and we'll see like all the Rhode Island landmarks uh, because the directors of that are from Rhode Island. So they always they always have to put elements of like where they were where they're from in their films. Yeah, um, yeah. It's cool for us to watch that when we look it's back. Great. At it, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's great. I think it's great. You know, to leave but it this sucks when trail. you're there. What? I said it sucks when you're there. Rhode Island is so small. You close one road. The whole state shut down. You know what I mean? Like, we only got one highway. Like, yes, and it's being used to shoot something. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's funny. Especially being a driver, you have no idea. Like, I got to work. Get out of my way. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, so Brad, like we, like you talked about, you know, like, having after the film you know not having work and everything like that now today you're teaching classes you have for um for up and coming actors called brad's class are you still <laughs> holding that now due to uh with the pandemic or what are you guys doing oh, uh yeah well no i'm not having anybody i've got this little studio and i'm uh, that's where i am right now um you see the the fake brick wall yeah black cement <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. hilarious. Um, uh, yeah, I've got this, you know, I started teaching, I started teaching regularly right after 9-11 because everything was shut down and I had yeah. small kids and I needed to make some money, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I started teaching and I taught at a school for a while and taught around the country here and there. And I've just kept it going because I found that I'm actually really good at it. And, yeah. and um, I'm teaching things that nobody else seems to be teaching. I mean, which is you know, camera work. How do you, how do you yeah. deliver as an actor? How do you deliver a close-up? What's the difference between performing in a close-up and a medium shot or a long shot? You know, and I've got all this equipment so we can do tracking shots, we can do dolly shots, we can do all the basic shots. You know, um, 
and and teaching people how to actors how to project their not project but how to reveal their own personality on camera yeah. you know um, yeah. so so it's been quite successful and when we shut down I, I had three classes every week like about 36 students um, uh, and but you know now of course I can't do that in person so I'm I'm doing um, uh, private sessions on zoom and okay. mostly okay. It's teaching actors how to make uh, self-taped auditions because before this we would you know go to a studio and audition in person for casting people uh, but now we don't do that we have to submit our own videos uh, and there's you know there's certain things that one needs to learn about how to do that N not just with the technical things like the lighting and sound and all that but again you know basic camera technique how do you talk yeah. to the mic and what's the difference between TV and film and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, so I've got, you know, I, about 30 students. It keeps me very, very busy um, yeah. doing these private, uh, private um, sessions uh, on Zoom. So that, that part of my life is still flourishing. Um, and it's good. It's good to be doing that. But I miss having people in the class, you know. So yeah. I've turned my studio into a bit of a gymnasium. Both my one of my kids and I, we do martial arts. And so this is where we oh, come cool. and fight. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You get to fight your kid? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah. I know, I know, I know. I get to fight him, but he's way better than I am. And, you know. oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's more fighting you at this point. <laughs> so it, so now, that's, it's nice that you're adapting um, the class to kind of fit the needs now, because we don't know how much of like what we've transitioned to, how much of this is just going to become like, so I think what yeah. we're finding is like with some things, like this is probably going to last, like people are just going to continue doing some things virtually because it is easier um, I know like telehealth, we're learning that like some people are going to continue doing that even after this pandemic's done because you can yes, see more people yes. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some real advantages, you know, uh, people won't be driving as much. Yeah. That's a good yeah. thing, yeah. you know, because yeah. we're, we've, we've been polluting the planet and it'll be helpful. Um, mm -hmm. You know, doing some things virtually is, is going to be better, I think. Mm -hmm. Um but it'll be so nice to be able to be with people again. Yeah. yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. in person. It'll be so great to to get back to that. You know, I think everybody on the planet is looking forward to that. You go, you know, you you one gets being in in, in within physical contact with another human being, you there's a trade-off of energy and it's, it revitalizes you and you don't get it electronically, right. you know, yeah. um, there's something, there's something about energy that just builds from other people. And it's, it's very, um, I feel that it's very, it's a necessary part of, of our existence mm -hmm. and yeah. being, having that taken away. It's, that's difficult. It's really yeah. difficult. It's like, Oh no, you don't yeah. get any food today. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's why we feel so exhausted after like, so I do, um, I do therapy and I've been doing a lot of sessions um, virtually lately and I feel exhausted after doing them. But when I'm in person, I can, you know, my endurance is, is way more. I think it's, 
because of that lack of uh, the face-to-face. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly how I feel with teaching. The teaching, it goes great on online and, and I'm, you know, I'm working with entertainers all day. It's great fun because I'm laughing all the time. But mm-hmm. you don't get that transference of energy. And it, yeah, by the end of the day, I am wiped out. Yeah. Wiped yeah. out. Even though, you know, teaching is not so difficult, you know. It's, for me, it's not very difficult. Um, but it's, you know, you're not getting that trading of energy or whatever it is. I don't know yeah. what it is. It, there's something, though. I, I yeah. 100% agree with you. There is definitely yeah. something there. Yeah. Yeah. Even the introverts yeah. want to see people in person these days. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we miss going to the conventions and everything. So it's like, yeah. you know, and just like, we, like, you know, we just missed it from you were at New Jersey, like the horror convention. We had missed yeah. it that year, you know, and so we just look back and like, it's like, wow, like now today taking, you know, part in the pandemic, we're on a Zoom conference with you having a podcast now, you know, so it's like, there's good and there's bad from it. But, you know, yep. Yep. We, Take what we can get, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. And we'll get through this and uh, somehow we'll keep the good things and uh, the bad things we'll leave behind, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. What people tend to do anyway. We're pretty good at that, you know? Um, So... Brad, did you have anything else coming up that you wanted to to plug or just, you know, kind of, you know, things um, that you're looking looking forward to coming up? Well, uh, when when the shutdown first happened here in L.A., I had... I had three movies and a play all, you know, set to go and everything had to shut down. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, one of the films I was going to do, or I was hoping to do, there wasn't a deal or anything, but I was, it was looking pretty good. Uh, they, they started shooting, I guess, but I wasn't ready to, to step onto the sets um, with the pandemic yet. And I, I just turned it down. Another one is on hold. Another one I've been shooting this past week. I was there la- last night was my last night. Um, it's a, a big studio film called King Richard with Will Smith. Um, okay. yeah. And it was like, okay, I'll, I'll do this because it's a fairly small role. And I just want to see how this works with the, you know, the pandemic, the COVID and all these precautions. And it was pretty amazing. Warner Brothers is like, they're following it to the letter. And so, you know, you get tested every other day and everyone's wearing masks and face shields and it's as safe as you can possibly be. But of course there's no guarantees, you know? So it's a little stressful being on a film set, but it's also comforting knowing that, that, you know, the, the studio is doing the best they can to keep everybody safe. You know, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's really uh, heartening. Um, So I just finished that. And then I was doing a play uh, about the booths, about the the Booth family, John Wilkes Booth uh, and his brother, Edwin Booth, who was the the Hamlet of the 19th century. And I was playing their crazy father. (laughs) 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 And I was looking forward to it because there's a scene in there where I could play a scene from Hamlet, but play it as it was played in 1840. And that was like a real challenge, you know? Uh, So I don't know if that play is going to continue. Who knows if any theaters are going to be, you know, what theaters are going to survive and all of that. Um, so, uh, so who knows, who knows what's going to happen? You know, um, Hollywood is shooting and there are a lot of auditions and inquiries and things, 
but what I, what else I do, I just have to take it a project at a time. You know, I, I don't know because you, you guys know you have a family, you bring that, mm-hmm. that um, virus home with you without knowing it. And boom, your family is all infected. That's, yeah. that's really heartbreaking. So I, I don't know if I'll do anything more until after this is over. I, I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, I fortunately, I have the teaching, so I can, you know, I can keep keep uh, keep us fed here. You know, that's good. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now Brad, for uh, some of our uh, listeners, you know, for um, people that are looking to uh, become actors and actresses, what kind of advice could you give them? Oh, yeah. Um. Boy, just do it, you know, just do it. Uh, get some training, get some training, get some good training. Uh, that's the first thing. Um, Brightclass.com. Yeah, yeah, just right, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 email me and, uh, and I'll, I'll work with you. I'm happy to do that. But, you know, get, get some training, um, any kind of acting training when you're starting. It's, it's, look, it's the art that does away with itself. So, it looks like in a movie that nobody's acting, you know, uh, but that means that they are really, really, really good actors. You know, there's a lot to learn. I still, I still take classes myself, you know, yeah. um, just to stay sharp and just to be challenged more and more. Uh, uh, one should always be searching because you never arrive. So I would say if, if there's anyone out there who, um, who wants to do movies, just, watch a lot of movies. If you want to be on TV, watch a lot of TV. Um, and, but then find some training and you can most, you know, after the pandemic, most, um, cities have a theater, go to the theater and ask the actors where you can train because guaranteed somebody in the cast is going to be, uh, able to teach you something. Nice. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, right now, you know, there's all sorts of, training opportunities online, you know? So, I mean, I've got students all over the country and all over the world, actually, um, that I work with. So that's, that's very easy to do. So, and then uh, I, I would just warn you, it's a very difficult business. Uh, you have to be very, very determined and at the same time, very vulnerable. Um, but if it's worth it to you, just keep at it. Just keep at it. Just don't look, I, I had no talent when I started. I, I had nothing to recommend me being an actor. I've learned everything, everything, nothing is natural. It's all learned. Um, and one of the most important things is just persistence, keeping going, keeping going, right? Absolutely. You get knocked down, you get back up. It's a good rule for martial arts. You never quit, never, never, never quit. So if you really want to be an actor, that's the thing. Never quit. Just keep going. Right. That's what yep. I would say. Awesome. Yep. So I know during the film, you actually carried a book. Um, and I, you know, you can't see on the podcast, but uh, on Zoom, you could see I'm sitting in my library and I just wanted to know if you were a reader and if you are what you read. <laughs> I hope I'm not what I read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read a lot. I read a lot. Uh Lately, I've been reading a lot of um, nonfiction stuff. I read a book about dinosaurs. I, re- I read a book about um, uh, the oh, a new history of the United States. 
uh, but which does not gloss over the whole slavery issue. It like really attacks it. That was really great. An 800 page history of the United States. Um, yeah, I read plenty. I read as much as I can. And for this, this, um, you know, this, uh, project of playing the, uh, the father of the booths, I've, I've read over a hundred books on that subject. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like the stuff from the 1820s and 1840s, it's not easy reading. <laughs> so yes, I read, I read a lot. Um, and I read yeah. the newspaper every day, every single day. So there I you try go. to go through a hundred books a year. Uh, Great. but I never imagined reading a hundred books on one particular subject. <laughs> I know it's a little crazy. I'm a little obsessed with it. It's crazy, especially because I don't know if we're going to do the play, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but it's interesting. So yeah, I read, I read a lot. I read quite a bit. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So Brad, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been awesome. I know that like this is, means a lot to us um, just being such big fans of the character of the film um, and just kind of getting for here you share a little bit more about your your career and your life and even your thoughts about the film has been amazing for us so thank you so much well thank you for having me on this has been a real pleasure you guys are great man i wish we could hang out you know yes yes (laughs) you don't have to lie it's okay (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully i mean hopefully yeah hopefully we can meet in person at some point if you know conventions ever happen again and all that stuff when things get yes someday someday they will happen again and uh yeah we'll meet up we'll meet up at some point okay we'll just stay in touch and uh when i'm on the east coast i'll let you know okay sounds great thank you so much all right so to our to our listeners thank you for uh for listening i hope you enjoyed this as much as we did uh so signing out i'm dave this is brandon this is joshua this is brad (laughs) And uh, thanks for listening. Have a great night, everyone.